Welcome to Live, Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship, a podcast that showcases the talents, skills, and abilities of UT faculty, staff, and students. I'm your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in Housing and Dining, and we're excited to have you listening to us. Welcome, everybody, to the Careers in Student Affairs Month episode of Live Leadership, Innovation, Ventures, and Entrepreneurship podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Jones, Associate Director for Student Learning and Development in University Housing and Dining at the University of Texas at Austin. And today we have a very, very special guest, none other than Robert Valdez, who serves as the Assistant Director for Conferences and Event Services, uh, also in Housing and Dining. He is my colleague, and I'm really looking forward to uh, having Robert tell us a little bit about himself and just talk to everyone about what he does and his pathway to his current vocation and also the doctoral journey that he's on as well. So, uh, Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Doing great. Excited to be here and to talk to you and to kind of share my story and learn more about this whole process. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, no problem at all. I'm very glad that uh, we got a chance to not only work together these past couple of years, but I'm also really glad that uh, we're going to have you on the show today. So, First thing, Robert, tell us a little bit about yourself. Let the audience know who you are and, you know, then we can dive into how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So a little about me. I've been at UT Austin for 10 years now. I just celebrated my 10 year anniversary this past September. And my journey goes back to San Antonio, where I grew up. All of my family have been social workers and educators, and that's where kind of the dream began. My grandmother was a migrant worker. Um, She settled in San Antonio with her family and became a housekeeper for a private university. Uh, And that's where the dream began for a higher education degree for her children, and it got passed down to her grandchildren. Um, So as you can see, it was pretty much embedded to me from day one as to where I was going to college versus if I was going to college. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to UT Austin, a proud Longhorn. I graduated in 09 with a bachelor's in social work. Uh, Didn't know what I really wanted to do, but knew I wanted to help people. I wanted to make a difference. And I found that the college demographic was my way to go. I always had a passion for business. So my goal was to get an MBA. And right after my undergrad, I went right into my business administration degree in accounting and finance. And I kept on working at UT Austin, moving up through the ranks, uh, working with Texas Global, and as well as with uh, University Housing and Dining. Um, And then currently right now, working on my PhD in higher education leadership. Uh, My dream still stands to make greater change and to help um, the college demographic feel more inclusive and to bring diversity to this very much unique uh, demographic of the college life. Wow, Robert, that's a that's a very powerful story. Uh, just just going back to what you were saying about your grandmother uh, and just de- developing that, uh, instilling that drive to not only work hard but to also uh, go into education and do something with it. I think that there's another connection. Not only is this the Careers and Student Affairs uh, Month, but November is the celebration uh, for first-gen college students. So we're essentially building a bridge, uh, connecting the dots here uh, at the end of the month going into the next one. But can you go back for just a second and kind of talk to us a little bit more uh, about what that meant for you to to understand your family's story uh, being first generation, but then also learning about your grandmother serving as a housekeeper uh, for, for a basically in higher education. And then all these years later, her grandson uh, is working in higher education in housing, uh, but also in a, and definitely in in a high capacity. Can you talk a little bit uh, about that for us? 
Yeah, for sure. So growing up, it was always a part of sharing stories. So part of like the, the Latinx community, storytelling is huge. And so growing up, my grandmother, uh, my grandfather passed away very young when my mother was 17. So I never got to meet my grandfather. So my grandmother was the matriarch and kind of leading the family and instilling great wisdom through her stories. Um, she always told us like, never get, never forget where you came from and always keep striving for the best and keep going for what you want to be. Like, don't let anyone stop you because she didn't, she didn't let anything get in her way. Mm -hmm. uh, so I kind of used that inst like to instill myself, to kind of grow my confidence and kind of figure out myself and through my identities and kind of figuring out what do I fit? What do I want to do? And who am I as a person? I was the oldest male. So me and her became very close uh, very quickly. She told me I looked a lot like my grandfather. So we automatically had this quick connection where she always told me, she was like, I don't have favorites, but she goes, but when I look at you, I see your daddy, I see your grandfather. Um, and so she always shared a lot of great things and stories of like how he was and how he had so much confidence in the same demeanor as myself. So it gave me a lot of boost and confidence growing up um, to achieve what I wanted to do. I remember being, um, in middle school and I would go visit, my mom worked across the street and that's where the university was, um, Our Lady of the Lake University. And I would see my grandmother in the hallways and there was just so much respect given to her of just pride, joy. Um, and I see that still today, like when I walk around UT campus, like I give so much respect to everyone, no matter what level they are, because everybody has a duty and a job to serve and to make this university great and inclusive in all angles. So my grandmother very much instilled that to me and she passed away when uh, it was my senior year. She had a massive stroke and I remember um, she was the strongest woman alive. And I remember the last point of where I had to say my goodbyes. We had to do it solo one by one in the ICU. So I had walked up to her bed crying, but I didn't know how to say goodbye or what to do next. So I just started saying goodbye. I was wearing my class ring and she only had mobility in that hand. And as I was saying goodbye, I started noticing she was twisting my ring. So then I, I broke down some more and then I made a promise to her that I would achieve the highest education that I could in my life. And it was going to be an honor of her and to carry on her legacy. And that's kind of where it all kind of fell into my life of like really chasing this dream of education. All of her grandchildren have all received a, a bachelor's of some sort. My sister was the first to receive her doctorate and my cousin just this past week graduated with his doctorate. So I will be the third in line for the family to achieve, to achieve a doctorate. Um, and it all became the dream of her. Um, and that piece of never forgetting where you came from, but also to better the community and keep pushing forward, especially with the, the Latinx vote, the Latinx voice that needs to be out there to make greater change um, for this community, especially at this time. Wow. Um, so yeah, so it's kind of the story on that piece. <laughs> no, thank you for sharing that, Robert. And, and I really appreciate you, um, you know, sh sharing that, that story of how much your grandmother really meant to you and your family, but also seeing the fruits of her labor uh, come to fruition all these years later through her grandchildren. And I know that, that that's definitely something that's a point of pride for you and your family. And so I really appreciate you sharing that. You said something else in there uh, about fit. And that's something that, you know, when we a lot of a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are, are students, but also uh, faculty and staff uh, all over the country, not just here at UT. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of finding your fit first as a student, because you did go to the University of Texas, but also as a professional? Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like and why that's important to find your fit? Yeah, I think uh, it's important first to also find that self-confidence and self-awareness first in the person. So I, before I came to UT Austin, I really dived into my identities. I knew that I was a gay Latino male um, coming to UT Austin, but how was this fit going to, how was Austin going to fit into my life? How was being a student going to fit in my life? Was I going to live a double life and not being out? And how do I kind of portray all that stuff? So I had a lot of different factors coming to me and trying to figure out who I was. 
Um, when I chose UT and I chose an institution, I really, I did do a tour. I, I was coming for a tour and it was something to be recognized for some um, scholarship that I was going to be getting and just to kind of show off the university and pretty much to recruit me into UT Austin. Yeah. When I came, I was sold. I saw how uh, it was so liberal, so giving, so inclusive. I saw people on campus who looked like me. Uh, and that's where I felt like was the biggest piece of like, I wasn't going to, I wasn't sure which institution I was going to attend. But once I stepped onto UT Austin within 10 minutes, I knew this was the place. Um, it felt very warm. It felt very welcoming. It, I saw people that looked like me, um, even professionals. I was seeing people walking around and you could see people in suits and ties and just different stuff. And they were brown people just like me. And I was like, okay, I see people myself and people who can actually push me to the next level. I wanted to see people who were going to be willing to give me that mentorship and move me up in the ranks as well with them to kind of aspire and create new items and ways to create greater change. So that was the greatest fit for me. And I coming to UT Austin, I took a lot of amazing classes with a lot of diverse uh, faculty. Um, and I knew that this was the greatest choice for me. Um, as a profession too, the reason why I stayed with UT Austin is because it's just, there's such a warm feeling of a family network. Um, no matter what our backgrounds are, no matter what we do, we all take care of each other. Um, it's a giving, nurturing place. And ethically, I feel very much tied to the university. Like, I, within my PhD class, there was a, a ethics course that we took, and they said half of the class after this, um, half of the class uh, will literally leave their current institutions because they're going to see they ethically and morally do not line up with the values, or they don't agree with the university, but they're just doing a job that they're told to do. Um, I was very proud that when I went through that course, that being a Longhorn and just being a part of UT Austin, they really do care about my leadership. They care about my identities. They care about where I'm going. And they also care about me as a human being. With all the resources that were given to me, I'm very blessed, very lucky to have UT Austin um, as a place to call home. Um, and really, it is my home. And that's why I've been here for so long. And that's why these 10 years have completely flown by. Mm -hmm. um, and I think within that, too, I'm still finding myself like the journey hasn't ended of finding who I am and what I am especially through this doctoral program. And I love having conversations like this with other colleagues mm -hmm. um, that really inspire and kind of pick up my brains of like, what else can I learn about myself? What else am I learning about other people? Is my story out there that might affect another student or another faculty or staff member to say, hey, we're on the same road together. Like, thank you for sharing that. And here's my journey. And thank you for letting me be seen or be one with you. So I think there's a lot of ways of trying to find that fit. Um, and trying to find what is called home. and um, But it takes a while and it takes time. And it takes self-awareness uh, and self-confidence to really start developing and opening your eyes to what is out there. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I often tell people, you know, some of my friends who see my posts on social media and see some of the things that uh, we're able to do together. And we'll talk about that in just a minute, some of the projects that we've been collaborating on recently. And people are like, y'all just look genuinely happy. And I tell people, I'm like, that's not fake. I say, every, every time you see me in a photo uh, with somebody from work, I, I genuinely like these people because we're, we're genuinely having a good time or we're genuinely happy in that moment, even though you don't have any idea what it took to get to that point. But I legitimately feel uh, like UT is a family. And, and I've, I never could have gone to a school this big in undergrad, but UT was always a place that I wanted to be. And the things that you're saying just continue to resonate with, you know, why I'm here and why I'm like you very uh, tied to the university in more ways than one. And so uh, what I'd like for you to share a little bit more about since it is careers and student affairs month, 
How did you land in student affairs, Robert? Like out of everything you could be doing, you got a social work degree, you've got a business background, which I've seen come to light in more ways than one in several meetings, uh, and you're working on a doctorate. Out of everything that you could be doing, what led you down the pathway to student affairs? Great question. And I think the response is always the same. Like it just kind of fell into my lap. Um, so being a, like growing up in a family with social workers and educators, um, it was always nurtured in me to kind of find a way to give back and always to do it. But I didn't know. Um, and I remember one time in social work, it was one of my classes. I think it was like one of the intros. And they were just like, who's the demographic you're wanting to serve? Find that. And through my journey in undergrad, that's really was the piece. And um, I did a mentorship, um, an internship program with um, a low income first generation students and trying to get them college based and got them, get them into college. That's what really inspired me seeing the smiles, the laughter, the joy, the parents being like, that's me, that's first gen. And I can lay down the road or I can lay down a roadmap for students who are into this pathway and don't know what to do or are nervous and just being like, hey, it's okay. There's people like me and you that I did it. You can do it um, and do it in your own way. One of the biggest things too, that one of my mentors during that uh, internship, she gave me the best question of my life. And she was like, how do you define happiness and success? And it really challenged me because there were students who were getting accepted into Harvard, to Stanford, um, and also to the, the local community college here in Austin. And I was at that point in my life, I was so driven to saying, go for start, like go for Harvard, go for Stanford, do it. Like mm-hmm. full scholarship, don't turn it down. But then I really, my boss was like, step back. And she was like, look at what their happiness is and look at your definition of happiness. And I really had to step back and seeing those kids choosing the community college and their life being set and they were had the, the smile ear to ear, that meant so much to me of seeing where I need to let others first define what they want and their definition of happiness and success versus me defining it for them. So that shifted my whole world already right there, seeing what college was about to be about. I was, I became an R, a resident assistant and that's what really took off of seeing leadership and how I can do a lot of stuff with business, a crisis management, event event planning, which led right into this uh, part of my life. But that's how it really all began. Um, I was also working for Texas Global and I got to study abroad three times while I was um, through my journey of like uh, education. So that was another opportunity that really opened my eyes of like, it's very broad, it's very out there. What can I do to broaden my life and kind of bring that in? So- Can you tell the people- can you, sorry about that. Can you tell the people what Texas Global is for those that don't know what, what Texas yeah. Global is? So Texas Global is our international office. So they serve students who study abroad. They do exchange programs. So bringing international students to UT Austin. Um, and they went through, they were just always known as the international office, but they went through a rebranding of now called Texas Global this past year. Okay, good. Uh, so, sorry about that. I had to define that no. for the crowd there. For sure, for sure. And so, yeah, that's really how my journey began of um, kind of moving into the realm. So once I graduated with my undergrad, I was studying abroad. Um, I had gone to London the year before in May semester. Then the next year I went to Ghana. Um, right after the day after the graduation, I spoke at graduation. And the next day I was on a flight up to Ghana for 18 hours. Um, and when I came back, I literally had told myself, don't apply for jobs, go to Ghana for the month and kind of figure out your journey. Um, I had been accepted into the MBA program in San Antonio. So I was like, do I want to be in Austin? Do I want to go back to San Antonio or what do I do? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, just focus on finding yourself in Africa and trying to figure out what next steps will come. So as soon as I got back, um, I applied, I got, I started my MBA program and I, uh, the international office of Texas Global reached out to me saying, hey, we have a full-time position. Would you like to come work for us? And that literally, I applied that Friday. Um, they gave me the job right there, right one hour after that. And I literally, I moved that weekend and started Monday morning at the international office. And that's where my wow. journey was, my education. 
And it kind of just took that becoming an, uh, um, I got my MBA. I needed that credential to become a hall director or like a complex coordinator at UT Austin. So I stepped mm-hmm. right into that role. I loved housing. I just loved the dynamics. Um, and so I, ever since then, I kind of moved up. And the funny part is um, I do love to event plan and I loved programming. So this was always a piece of my life. When I was looking into the PhD program, our previous executive director, uh, Dr. Himlada Javiri, um, we both had a lunch, but with two different intentions. So my intention was to kind of learn more about the PhD program at Colorado State that I'm currently in and that she graduated, was the first graduate of the program. And she had the intention of getting me to apply for the conference manager job. And I had no clue. So that's how this kind of fell into my lap. So literally I was like, okay, this job looks cool. It sounds great. And she was like, make it your own. She was like, I'm going to give you the autonomy to create and make this program what you want it to be. She's like, Robert, you're the person for this. So I applied, got the job. And literally it's been evolving over the past um, six years of me being in this role and kind of creating a team and dynamic and what it is, especially through COVID right now, it's just been a very unique time to do a lot of unique stuff and working with Dr. Jones and his team to put on amazing programs and shifting my view. So my job was always the host um, of the event and kind of helping people, just making sure that they have a spot where they plan everything. But this year has really shifted my world of me being an event planner and having fun and executing a fun student experience and a safe experience during a pandemic. So that's a very cool, unique shift in my world that I never thought would have happened. And I love it because I do love to event uh, program, but also to see those students so excited um, to get some kind of colleges like experience. And I think that's what I love my job. It's so versatile. It's fun. I get to change it up um, and make it what it is. And, and that's how that's, yeah, no, that's that's great. That's great. And I think that that's the thing that I've always enjoyed about working with you these last couple of years. And even right now is I, I see I see the things that bring life to you, you know, watching you during conference season during the summer, uh, the energy you put into your conference and event staff, uh, making sure that people have the best experience possible. Uh, I love I've always enjoyed watching you think far ahead because I am not. I'm, I'm good at ideating, as you're well aware of, uh, but you are very good at executing and following through on the deliverables. And you're always thinking about, OK, what can I do? Even in the moment, you're constantly thinking about what can I do to make the experience better? So talk a little bit uh, about, you know, when you look at event planning and programming during a pandemic, um, Talk to the folks out there about what that has looked like and what's gone into making the decisions about what things that we are doing and some of the things that we're like, we, we're not there yet, but we're still going to push it. Because a lot of folks uh, in higher ed are scaling back and here we are still trying to push forward. Talk to me about what goes through your mind when I come to you with an idea like what we did with 40 Acres Fair or like what we what you came up with uh, Fiesta at the Tower. Talk, talk to everybody about that. Yeah, so during the pandemic, like there's so much fear, there's so much worry and, and there there is so much items to be scared about in this pandemic and how to do it safe and how to do stuff and, and also to not, to do it right. There's the pressure of doing everything right and mm-hmm. not being a part of creating a cluster or making it become all eyes on that department. So I think with event programming, that was the biggest piece of where UT Austin, I think it's our leadership, like you, Dr. Jones, and I, I appreciate this is where your drive and push of like, let's do this. Let's try it. Let's just yeah. see what works. And like, we have to be the trendsetters. Um, and I love that about our department because that's what gives me the confidence of like, okay, you got my back. I got yours. Let's try this out. Let's do it. So I think that's what really stepped us into the event programming was kind of being the guinea pigs and kind of being like, okay, let's, let's do this first for campus because nobody's going to do it if we're not going to do this. Right. Um, 
we have the resources, we can do it right, let's do it. Um, and let's make the student experience become reality, which everybody's been talking about, but everything is virtual, but let's do it in person. Right, so right. Um, at Fiesta at the Tower, like it was just, again, you throwing out a topic of like, hey, let's do something. And I was like, let's let's do this, let's do it outside, let's do a movie night. Um, and every action, I think for mine um, was safety was number one, always that, it, that goes back to my summer conferences. So my summer conferences was in mode already of like, how do I keep it safe? How do I keep it fun? And how do I keep it educational? Those are the three big components. And that's what we talked about at our first meeting uh, for these events. And sure enough, that's how it took off. And I think we're doing a great thing. I'm, I'm talking to other um, higher education professionals across the nation. And they're talking about like how they're not programming yet in person, that there's a lot of fear, there's a lot of stigma. But by posting on Facebook and seeing what we're doing, it's literally launching people into like, if they can do it, we can do it. And mm -hmm. literally a list and recommendations and questions of like what people should th be thinking about before, in between uh, and after the event, um, just to make sure that it's safe. And also to make sure like, is this the right way to do this event? Should mm -hmm. we keep it in person? Should it be hybrid or should it be all virtual? Right. And it really starts shifting that mindset of like, this is a very scary time for many, but are we going to run from it? Or are we going to try to shift it and make our world into what we can try to make it safe and still fun for the students? We've hosted many big events and I feel like we're going bigger and bigger each time. So Fiesta of Towel is probably for about a hundred students. Um, the last one, the 40 acres fair was a 509. This longhorn harvest that we're throwing in two weeks, I can imagine it's going to be minimum 600, 700 students yeah. that will be by. And the biggest piece is what people have to just remember is like, okay, so what is the safety piece? And so we've been doing everything safety of out, outdoors, but this is where you're starting to get into that mindset of like, what's next? So we've done these outdoor events. Uh, we're going to be hosting stuff with Texas Global Indoors and Voices and just how do we keep it personal? And I think that's what we're kind of missing too, is like, we're having all these fun events. Uh, people are grabbing and going and doing some great stuff, but how do we get back to the more personal programming and that it's touching people's lives of like, I went to go see this or... I feel safe and I, I, I don't want to be around 500 people, but I want to be with these 30 people and just have a conversation and just see what other people's experiences are, which I think that's going to be a great one for Texas Global that we're hosting. Um, and I think that's what's happening too. And then we have the versatility. So we have the big ones. We have the more intentional ones. We have a very specific group, but mm -hmm. um, that's where I see us still in that angle of going into that direction. And I'm glad we're the first. Um, we've also seen many programs now erupt on campus of yes. just in-person events after we did it and we've been kind of consulting and helping others i literally have like seven emails right now on my account just yeah. other groups asking about how do we do this what do we do um can they review can i review everything about their, their program and make sure everything is correct or are they missing anything so i would love to help out um we're all in this together we're all a team um uh, i love just helping other professionals of just let's do this let's make it um work but also let's not run from it and let's try to make it safe for everyone. So there's two things that happened as you were talking. Number one, uh -huh. typically the way that I come up with the title for uh -huh. uh, every episode is just like a good phenomenologist. I let it emerge uh, from the conversation. And so when you said talking about keeping it safe, fun and educational, that's probably going to be the topic. So that's probably how I'm going to title it. Uh, two, what I also love was when you started talking about the safety piece, I know that there are some students out there, not just at UT, but on campuses everywhere that have concerns that, you know, Halloween is coming up and that, you know, how are you going to keep the campus safe? And how can you put on an event where 500 people attended and you kept it safe? Can you walk people through the details specifically? Let's, let's talk about 40 Acres Fair, where we had yeah. 509 uh, people come and it was grabbing 
and go, but can we talk up can we can you share the details with the folks about every measure of safety that we took to ensure that there was minimum minimal contact, minimal risk, minimal exposure to get people in and out of that confined outdoor space. Can you share the details about that? Yeah. So a lot of the stuff, um, it goes down to the, the, uh, the PPE equipment and the items that we order for the protection for the safety items. So a lot of the stuff that we, that always goes into my place is always the optics of what protection do we have for the students and the equipment that we have to keep everyone safe. So for mine, it's always the optics. So I'm like, first, my biggest thing is to do a sketch. So let's lay out a sketch. Um, it's going to be an outdoor event, figure out, okay, where's the flow second of that piece. So now we have an outdoor event. We've selected a space. Let's create a flow um, and in and out. And then also too, with us serving food, the question came into line of, are they going to be eating the food there? Are they just going to grab and go? Um, are we going to offer places to sit? If there is seating around there, are we going to allow it? Is there a minimum, a maximum of people per table? Are we shutting off tables um, and the access into that piece? And also, are we make, like overseeing that process or is that somebody else? Um, so there's a lot of dots that have to be connected in the beginning first of the sketch, the look, the flow. Um, and then everything starts falling into place as to, okay, uh, how many people are we expecting? We knew it was going to be a big a spot with possible... Uh, with the dining hall that's serving 1,200 people for lunch, mm -hmm. we knew that there was going to be a big, we didn't have to market it because we knew we were going to have to get, we were going to get a lot of students regardless. So we did some marketing for it, but we knew once uh, that piece was there. The next piece for mine was if we're not going to market it and there's people going upstairs, how do we get them down here? So I was like, I need some noise. I need some attention to this event. Yeah. But I need to and I need to do it safely, but I need to be entertainment. So I was like, well, let's get the cheerleaders and let's get live music. Um, and if we didn't have live music, I was like, plan B would be like a Spotify playlist or something. But I was like, live music just is going to attract people. People will get curious. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that piece of like, okay, now I have people's curiosity. How do I line them up? Um, so we literally laid down like 150 different uh, six foot bubble uh, item stickers on the floor to completely lay out the flow to go in and out of this grab and go. So that was another big piece of like, we needed to determine, is there two entrances, one entrance, mm -hmm. and then where was gonna be the flow? And if there was gonna be a backup flow as well. So we created a uh, pathway. So for the folks trying to visualize this, what Robert is referring to is these the, the Bevo stickers that we have on campus that show the six feet apart to make sure that people knew the pathway in and the pathway out and where to stand when they were getting their food. Correct. And so we created that pathway um, and so those items too. The biggest piece is catering has their own safety mechanisms too. So it's, they already have how they were going to be placed, were they socially distanced? Everything was grab and go. So there was no kind of buffet style of touching anything. It literally was like grab and go a bag as you were going along the way. So catering has their own mechanisms and way and safety protocols that they need to follow. So of course, no buffets, no touching of anything. It's pretty right. much our dining staff is touching it, but with gloves, with masks on, everything. Um, and putting stuff into a bag and literally handing off to the student. Mm -hmm. um, we did require all the students, well, we, being outside, the students do not have to wear a mask, but literally all of our students, I would say 99% of those students were wearing a mask the entire time. Oh no, time. every last one of them had a mask on. I didn't see yeah. a single student without a mask. Everybody had a mask. Yeah, and I think it comes to very much tone from the university of keeping us safe and we're in this together, um, let's get through this. So pretty much it was easy about creating a pathway um, the other piece too is that from the beginning of the event, you have to have your hand sanitizers, extra mask if needed. So all those details of like, is there a proper signage, protective signage too, saying please wear your mask or please do this. Mm -hmm. um, kind of instructing the students of what to do, creating that safety but calm and kind of relaxed way of like, hey, we're in this. 
Let's keep it safe. Stay on your bubble. So literally that's what it was. And we had many volunteers across to from check-in doing a QR code, which which was checking students in. So there was no touch, which was amazing to see that mm-hmm. where students were checking in just in case there was a cluster, just in case there was anything that we needed information, but also for future marketing, we would love to use this information. If you came to this event, join us at our next event. Right, right. A multi-use process of also safety. Um, so students right from the beginning were hand sanitizing, getting on their bubbles, moving along the pathway as they were grabbing food at at least eight different stations. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, too, in between stations, we had live entertainment, like I said. So there were selfie stations where we stanched off our cheerleaders, um, our live musicians. So students were never coming in close contact with those performers. Mm-hmm. So keeping them safe at the same time, too. And I think that's what people start forgetting as to keeping other elements safe. At the same time, we created signs too to kind of navigate students of like, this is different. So we created selfie station signs and students mm-hmm. started taking selfies with the cheerleaders and with the performer. Yes. It's what we wanted and what we envisioned. Um, so the students kind of did that. We did block off some tables and we put like minimums on each of the tables that we wanted to have open. Um, and literally the students followed the rules. It was outdoors. They were eating. They enjoyed the music. It was all safe. Uh, but it takes a lot of planning of just determining um, what are the safety mechanisms. But again, too, how do we keep it fun and not so overprotective where there's so much fear in your right. event? Pretty much it's safe, do this and enjoy the event. So that's what we really wanted. Um, and I think that's what the live entertainment did was taking off the fear. Because I can't imagine walking through something like that with the mask on your bubble, grabbing food and there's no music, no nothing. It would be very interesting of like, this feels very automated or very transactional. So having the music and stuff, it was entertaining to be like, they really care about us. Um, I think also too, is the intention of our, our thing is, so the state fair was not happening here in Texas, right. uh, which was a shootout. So we created this piece for them of like a student experience that they would not be able to do, redo again. So we wanted to give them a taste of the state fair. And that's how this events all emerge is kind of being creative. So I would say for any of y'all planning events, be creative, see what's not what's not going on because of COVID and how can you redo it or how can you twist it up for your students or your your community um, and kind of shifting that dynamic of what is a, a cool program that you can do and could it put a spin on it. And that's what we did. And see, Robert, that that's the thing that I've enjoyed. Like if y'all are listening to this and you're if you're a first gen student and you're trying to figure out like can I be my authentic self at work? Can I bring the best version of me to the job every day? I hope you can hear it in Robert's voice and how Robert has managed to bring that inspiration from his grandmother all the way to where we are today on October 23rd of 2020 uh, and how it sh- and how Robert shows up to work every single day being his authentic and true self. Robert is proof, not saying that, you know, Rob, that Robert and I are special or that we've done anything different, but I want I want you to hear the, the passion in his voice and the energy that comes out from being able to come to work every day doing something that you absolutely love. And not only that, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And do you hear sadness in our voice? No. Do you hear us panicked or fearful? No. What you hear is we were trying some things out and we, you know, we vetted this stuff through our university and we didn't just put this on without talking to, uh, you know, the, the medical community, the folks uh, in our administration. We made sure that we dotted every I and crossed every T. And Robert does, Robert, you do such an exceptional job of, you know, helping helping us as a team 
to try and make sure that we don't let fear ruin the fun. And that's what I loved about what I've been loving about working with you this year more in particular, because in previous years we collaborate, but we really working together now, man. Like we, we're talking at least once or twice a week, three times this week because of this podcast. But I'm really just enjoying watching you you know, bring, take an idea from a from a text message to execution. I have enjoyed watching that. What advice do you have to those first gen college students that are listening to this episode? Um, those kids that that next Robert Valdez from San Antonio, or that kid from down in the valley that's listening to this, that's thinking about coming to UT and trying to figure out, you know, can I do this? Can I make it? What advice do you have for that that student that's that's a current college student now, or that's first gen, or is in a high school senior thinking about coming to UT and making that transition? What advice do you have uh, to first gen students? And then I, the, the follow up will be, what advice do you have? for first-gen staff still trying to find their fit and their way? Yeah, um, I would say for, if you have that itch or you have that drive, if something's kind of like, I wanna try this out or I wanna, for a first-gen student, like that was where mine, where I was like, I I was gonna go away from my family. Like I would be the, the second in my entire family to go away and the first male to step out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was scary. Like there's a lot of tradition, there's a lot of culture, there's a lot of um, pressure to stay with the family and be with the family and help the family. And I can imagine times like COVID right now, twice as much pressure of like, don't leave the family, support the family, um, go work and help if somebody's furloughed or laid off and you're gonna be the, the breadwinner for the family to help really pay the bills um, as we get through this. So mm-hmm. I would say um, each circumstance and each family is different. So whatever it is, if there is a pause and you know what, you do need to help your family in some way or a friend, whatever it is, your partner, um, find what that is first and you take care of those business items first. I was privileged enough where I got financial aid. Um, it was scary. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't even know how to fill up this <laughs> room, but my parents and I were figuring it out together. Right. Um, so I would definitely say like, figure out each dynamic is different, but, and don't compare yourself to other folks. Like if something mm. university or this piece, don't compare. It's easy to do it on Facebook and to see it on social media and everybody's posting their happiest right. moments. But people don't ever talk about their most hardest moments or their saddest moments or their their challenging moments. So I would say uh, really be that person to step it up and to talk about it, saying, hey, I'm struggling with this or I'm I'm challenged by this or my family's not doing this and I'm going to take a pause. And hey, that's right. okay. like you're going to stay home and work for a while. Um, But I would say if you have the resources and you have the access and you have that privilege, go for it. Like that's one thing that I've seen in my life that um, I did have a lot of resources. I did have a lot of privilege. Um, even knowing being a brown person, I was just like, I know there's scholarships for Latinos and I need to go for it. And that's what I did. I used my diversity. I used my race and ethnicity to help me to further this along. And sure enough, it, that's really what made, led me into this. Um, for study abroad too, like I didn't pay one penny for any of my study abroad because it was Talk all more about time. that. Talk, talk more yeah. about that. So I was a Longhorn Scholar, uh, which was a program that's kind of shifted and evolved into to a new program at UT. But back in my day, uh, about 15 years ago, it was called the Longhorn Scholars. Uh-huh. Um, and there was all this money given to first generation, low income, typically high schools or areas of, of Texas that they wanted to recruit and to get more diversity on campus. So I was given a scholarship to come to UT. But then on top of that, they partnered with the international office to do the study abroad um, scholarships. Mm-hmm. Working for study abroad, 
um, was a big benefit for me. I knew who was going to be reading my items and I knew exactly that my mentorship or this internship that they get, the scholarship that they gave me was also kind of going to be giving money into this. So I knew exactly how to chase it and what to do. And so literally I stepped up to the plate and I shook those hands of those people saying, Hey, I am a recipient for the scholarship. And I really want to say, I can do this. Look at my story. I would love to do this opportunity and I can give back. How do I give back? And how do I promote this when I do come back? and let other students know like people like me can do this. Sure enough, I got scholarships both years to Africa and to London, uh, to Europe, to That's study abroad. Um, so I would definitely say there's gonna be a lot of fear. It didn't come easy for me to, I needed to build that confidence. There was no way I used my extrovert personality to get out there and shake that hand and make a difference. But it all came back to that piece of going back to the grandmother, like, don't forget where you came from. Like, there's a reason why I'm here. Use your opportunities and use your resources. Right. They're not gonna come chasing you. You no. have to more to that opportunity and you have to take that step we're talking to faculty that's probably the scariest thing too is for office hours i was like this person wrote the book how am i going to go to the office hours and say i don't need it or, I'm like, oh. um but me as a student i was like i but I, this is why i'm here as a student and when i talk to the faculty you will see that's why they love what they do they're here to make you a better person they're passing the knowledge on and they want to make you a better citizen and have make great choices and kind of challenging choices too um, so that was cool as a first gen person to like see the confidence, see the fear. If you're scared, talk about it. Ask for help. We're all in it together. I didn't know how to do my financial aid. I didn't know how to apply for a dorm. I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know if my parents had the money to pay those application fees, but there was resources. And I just asked the question of like, can I get that waived? Or yes, since you did financial aid, you can waive that. And I was like, okay, check next thing. Um, so I definitely say, look ahead, ask questions. Um, and see what opportunities you have to help you guide you as a first gen. UT Austin has created a first gen living learning community. Yes. A whole report this. Um, it's been fantastic. I have a mentee, a part of that program and really helping That's him amazing. navigate the business. So I would say really look at the institutions and luckily UT has a bit and I'm hoping many other institutions do this, but um, see if there's an, an office like this or an initiative and go to those people and they will literally guide you and help you. Your academic advisor will also be your greatest help as well. Mm -hmm. That person laid out my roadmap for me and literally plugged in study abroad saying, do you want to study abroad? I'm like, yes. And they were like, okay, let's fit it into this summer at this time and with this credit and do this. And literally they pushed me into my dreams that I never thought would really happen and they became reality. Um, but all I would say is one, turn that fear into something good. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Um, and keep chasing those dreams, like chase it. And there's a reason why you're there. There's the resources there. Use your resources while you have those opportunities. Now, what about for first gen staff? What advice do you have for first gen staff? Not just at UT, but that first gen, that, that student that was for, they were a first gen student. Now they're right. in the professional realm. They're in higher ed. They're working at UT. They're working at different institutions across the country. What kind of advice do you have for, uh, first gen professionals too because eventually we graduate y'all graduate yep. i wasn't first gen but eventually first gen students graduate right yeah so i see a lot of first gen students and a lot of uh, minorities who go back into higher education because they had either great mentors or they had a very bad experience and they mm. wanted to bring that out for their students so i see it in two different directions when staff now want to come back into higher education um it's those two elements of the um so i would say one, figure out what is the reason why, like why, why are you coming back to help students and to kind of use that to initiate the light and the drive within you. Mm -hmm. um, also to say when you're looking at institutions, is the institution looking at you as a like a token or like a, a picture of their pamphlet saying, yes, we have our one Ooh. brown person 
and go for that. And that's, that's all they need, but they're going to, you're not going to be feel welcome. You're not going to have the resources there on your campus. So I would definitely say, look at when they're recruiting you, like, is it going to be a two way? So when you have those on campuses and if you're fortunate enough, or like you're doing a zoom COVID thing, really see what people are, uh, one, what do they look like and how do they talk about their identities, but also to, um, what are you going to be on campus? Are you going to be that token um, that they're going to give you everything, but it's going to be the hardest struggle of your life trying to be that token because everybody's saying, well, we have a diversity initiative and they point to you just because you're the, di- you're the different one or you're mm-hmm. the first gen or mm-hmm. the other piece. So, um, kind of see what that university does for you. Luckily at UT, this is why, again, it was chosen as I saw people who were like me um, in all leadership positions. It was beautiful to see that component. Um, and, I felt safe. And that's the biggest thing I think for first gen and other identities of mine of being like a gay person, I was like, I need to feel safe. If I'm not in a city or if I'm not in a university that I'm fearing my life or I'm fearing stuff, this is not the place for me. I'm not, it's not worth it. No money or no salary is going to be worth it. That's right. For my life. Um, so I would definitely say for first gen, um, go for it. Um, step out of your bubble. Also too, like you are going to be that person in a meeting. Like I've seen it many times where they're like, oh, we have this issue with the LGBT community. And I became like the spokesperson of the whole entire meeting. They're like, Robert, help us solve this. And I'm like, I, I, yeah, I can help, but I'm like, I'm not the spokesperson, but be right. prepared for them as well too, um, of your other identities to kind of take that. Or they might say, we have this first gen initiative and you're the only first gen in the room. They're going to put it on to you, but use those also times to shine. I think for those meetings, I was scared and I was like, okay, now I become the, the token or I become the voice of that identity or that group. But I literally use that to be like, well, if this is going to be that, then this is going to be my time to shine. And literally, that's where your drive should come in and be like, this is where I can make the greatest change and I have opportunity for change. So if I turn it down, is it going to get it fall into the hands of a wrong person or the initiative won't happen? Or can I literally rise up to the occasion and to a challenge and kind of be that person? But, um, but yeah, I would say definitely those are the first pieces of just... Um, it's either going to come from a good or bad experience, um, kind of finding yourself in that element, but also make sure that it's a good fit between yourself of, are they going to use me to be the token or am I going to be a team with this group? And we're all going to rise to the opportunity together, um, regardless of identities. I love it. I love it. Well, Robert, we're nearing the end of our time together. Do you have any final thoughts or considerations that you want to share or anything that's coming up you want to give students and faculty and staff that are listening a heads up on? Um, I would say one of the biggest things I think doing our first event with Dr. Jones was amazing. The uh, Fiesta at the Tower, like I shared this on my post on Facebook and with the staff at UT, like um, little did I know 16 years when I first walked onto UT campus, like I didn't see, um, like I saw people like me, but I, there was very few. I thought when I first came, I was all the excitement and they were all there, but then I had to find myself. And through that event, 16 years later, um, throwing the first event for a diverse community and seeing these students so excited that there's people like them on campus and during a pandemic, it being the first one. Um, and really, kicking off Hispanic Heritage Month too, by the yeah, way. Yeah, kicking off Hispanic Heritage Month. It was phenomenal and it was life-changing for myself that I was like, what would Robert Valdez have done 16 years ago if that was the first event, if that was the main piece? Would I be in the same dynamic? Would my confidence have boosted? What would I have done? Wow. Um, and so seeing those students too, like there was one student who came up to me at the end. He was like, thank you for doing this. He was like, this is my culture. And he was like, you brought home with me here mm. and literally brought me to tears. And I was like, yeah. home, yeah, home was the main word 
home is where I, why I work here. Yeah. Home is yeah. home is everything. But to make a student experience so much of like that component, I was like, I made him feel safe. I made them feel home. UT Austin is his home. And he, literally, I could literally see him in mind, like, check, I belong here. There's a sense of belonging. Yes. Um, so literally when you're doing that with your students, go for it for yourself. Um, host, share your stories, share your stories. And I think that's where my opportunity of like, I literally got to share my story through that event um, and to really bring my identity through it. So do something that you're passionate about um, people are seeing it. People are watching it. They may not always tell you um, that they're doing it, but you are making your mark. You are pushing the change to a greater an element. So please do that um, and share that with your students, your faculty, your staff, make a journey, um, share your stories because people are listening and you are touching lives. Wow. Well, Robert, thank you so much for uh, being a part of the show today and for sharing your story and more importantly, for all the work that you've uh, done uh, at the university for the last 10 years. And here's to 10 or however many more you want to do uh, here with us. Uh, we're definitely glad to have you and I'm glad to have you as a colleague. So thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. To catch the next installment, be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We'll see you next time.